0: Good morning. I want to begin with uh, our church's mission statement. You have probably seen our posters up, Deeper in Christ, Further in Mission. But what you may not know is that there is a sentence or a statement uh, that fleshes that out a little bit more, a little more detail. And the statement is this. We seek to be a, <clears throat> excuse me, a high-impact, transformative community by going deeper in Christ and further in mission. Let me repeat that. We seek to be a high-impact, transformative community by going deeper in Christ and further in mission. So let me, let me kind of give you a quick synopsis. We want to be a high-impact church. What that means is that we want to maximize the gifts and the resources, the opportunities, uh, the, 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 the facilities, the people, the, the resources we have that God has given us. We want to be found good and faithful stewards of, of, who invest wisely for God's kingdom and want to have the greatest impact for the Lord. We want to be a transformative community. What that means is that we want to live together in such a way that our lives are changed positively in our interactions. We want to be known as people of love and grace and honesty and encouragement, a place where, of people where truth is spoken boldly but with love. And in the process, the truth sets us free and we are transformed. We want to go deeper in Christ. What that means is we want to be people who not only know the Bible but know Jesus Christ intimately. To be people who not only know the right things, but live out the right things. To be people for whom following Jesus is not a hobby or a habit, but our our, our life, our very life. And finally, we want to go further in mission. We want to spread the good news of Christ. We want to serve others in his name sacrificially, generously, unconditionally here and around the world to all types of people. And we want to be salt and light, preserving the good and illuminating the true. Sounds good. But for that to happen in us as individuals, in us as a church, increasingly, it begins and is founded in this scripture from John 15. Because the way that we live our lives reveals to those around us what is the one thing to which we are most closely attached. Let me repeat that. The way that we live our lives reveals to those around us the one thing to which we are most closely attached. For example, several years ago when the kids were younger, I walked into our family room and our boys used to love to watch Animal Planet and it's understandable, snakes and sharks and wolves and tigers and lions and all those things. And um, I stopped for a second to see what kind of animal was being featured for that day. And it wasn't an animal or a fish or a reptile or a bird. It was something called human animals. Now, maybe you're like me and you've never heard of a human animal, but a human animal, they are individuals, people who feel such a strong attachment and identification with a particular uh, animal dog, snake, tiger, bear, wolf, whatever that they begin to take on the characteristics and even appearance of that animal. So, on this show, they were profiling seven people who called themselves human animals. Uh, one guy, for instance, had spent over $200,000 on surgeries and tattoos even going so far as to split his tongue like a snake. Another guy's apartment was filled with stuffed tigers, and he had a tiger suit that he would put on when he went out in public, and he would purr and paw and dance around and try to hug people if they would let him. Another guy identified with tigers, and he went so far as to have uh, whiskers implanted into his face, tattoos, and he even had surgically implanted claws. Bizarre stuff. And so I stopped and tried to use this sort of object lesson about our true identity is supposed to be in Christ, sounds spiritual. But what I was really doing was to make sure that they didn't get any ideas, okay? And, and these people, I mean, they, they seem like nice enough people. They, they seem harmless enough. But for whatever reason, psychologically and emotionally, they had such a deep feeling for these animals that they crossed the line and began to think of themselves as one of them. That was their identity, The way they lived their lives revealed the one thing to which they were most closely attached. It was pretty easy to figure out just by looking at them. But it's not always that way for most of us. Sometimes it can take a while for that one thing to be revealed. Sometimes it can be revealed only to maybe a select few who know somebody really well, where they kind of let people get a glimpse into what's most important to them. Sometimes it's revealed during a time of stress, or um, trial when push comes to shove what's most important comes through it can be revealed at the end of a person's life through what they cling to or after a person's life through their last will and testament but eventually sooner or later the, the the one thing to which we are most closely attached will be revealed jesus said i am the vine and you are the branches and with those words at the beginning of John 15, Jesus is moving closer, as he's speaking closer to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to be betrayed, and he knows that, the night before he's going to be crucified. And he and his disciples have just finished observing the Passover feast. Remember what that's about? It's the people of Israel remember their deliverance from death and slavery in Egypt. And so just before John, or John 15 begins, Jesus tells them, I'm going to be leaving, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So you're not alone. And at the end of chapter 5, 14, he says, Come now, let us leave. And they begin this walk through Jerusalem at night. They go to the outskirts of town. They move toward the the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus desperately wants to get there because he desperately needs time with his father before the events of the next day. And as they would have been walking along, they surely would have passed some vineyards. And so Jesus begins to talk. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And so John and Peter and James and Thomas and the rest of the disciples, they spent the last three years traveling with Jesus. They've given up a lot. They've left their family. They've left their livelihood. They left their hometowns. There's hardly been a moment when they've not been with Jesus. They have virtually been attached at the hip. But in a few moments, within a couple of hours, they're going to distance themselves from him. They're going to run away. They're going to disassociate. They're going to detach. The one who is now telling them, I am the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me. The way we live our lives reveals to those around us the one thing to which we are most closely attached. Now, we know this passage is one of the I am sayings in the Gospel of John. There are are seven times Jesus speaks these words, I am in John, and and, and there's significance to that expression. It would have meant uh, a lot, been very significant to his Jewish listeners. He begins in John 6, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. In John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And then John 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Again in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 11, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will never die. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then finally here in John 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And in each of these these sayings, these I am sayings, Jesus makes the extraordinary claim that he is God. He's recalling a biblical phrase that was used back in the Old Testament. And in Exodus 3, the first time, the Lord tells Moses to go to Egypt and demand that Pharaoh let his people go. And... And God speaks to Moses through this burning bush, and Moses asks for the name of the one who's sending him. And and remember God's response? He says, I am who I am. Which was the Hebrew word for Yahweh or Jehovah or, or the living God. And so when Jesus says, I am, in these seven sayings, he is claiming to be the God of Israel, the Savior of the world. And as the true vine, Jesus claimed to be the only true source of life. Without him, he says... You will perish, but with me you will bear much fruit. Now I'm not an expert on vineyards. I know we have some people in our church who are, but I, I do know enough to know that the vine is the source of life, and the branches are merely conduits of that life. And if a branch is damaged or disconnected from the vine, it simply cannot and will not bear fruit, especially good fruit. But if a branch is closely connected and it's taken care of and it's healthy and it's pruned properly, it will naturally, as a result of the connection to the vine, bear fruit. And each branch, Jesus declares, reveals whether it's attached or not. The branch is known by its fruit. The Christian is known by his or her fruit. An Amish farmer was once asked by a roving evangelist, "Are you a Christian, sir?" And the farmer thought about it for a moment. He said, why ask me? Ask my banker, my neighbors, my wife and my children. They can tell you whether or not I'm a Christian. Bishop Stephen Neal said this, to be a Christian means to be like Jesus Christ. To be a Christian doesn't mean at its elementary form to give mental assent to certain doctrines, although that's, you know, important. It doesn't mean that we are to live by a certain code of conduct or ethics, which that's also important. To be a Christian in its elementary form means to follow Jesus, to live and to think and to act and to be like Jesus. That's our highest calling. We are called to grow more and more into Christ likeness, to be a disciple, which is one of our church's priorities. To disciple, to be a disciple, which involves a life changing journey with Jesus Christ, along with others in that journey. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end. But if we want to be like Christ, we've got to do something that Jesus mentions 11 times in the first 17 verses of John 15. Remain, he says. Abide. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Which implies a response. It implies a responsibility on our part. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates it this way, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. Ray Stedman explains it this way, when our Lord says, abide in me, he's talking about the will, about the choices and the decisions that we make. We must decide to do things which expose ourselves to him and keep ourselves in contact with him. And what does that look like, practically speaking? Well, it it obviously begins with a realization that apart from him, we're going to struggle. Apart from him, we cannot produce the fruit that God has called us to. It begins with a realization that we fall short of his standard and his glory and that we need his spirit, that we need Jesus Christ to live the life that we aspire to, that God calls us to. We must turn to Him with delight. We must seek His presence and be occupied with His excellence. And we do this through the Word. We do it through prayer. We do it through worship. We do it with other people. And we will never develop an attitude of dependence upon Christ until we we consistently and intentionally draw near to Him. We grow then through that relationship. C.S. Lewis illustrates what it means with this quote. A car is made to run on petroleum and it would not run properly on anything else. And God designed a human machine to run on himself. He is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Next, our, our growth is revealed by our fruit, if we abide, if we remain, by the way we live our lives, people will know without a doubt, without a mistake, the one to whom we are most closely attached. So, how did a person's life change who was abiding in Christ? Well, the greater the attachment to the vine, the greater the love, the greater the generosity, the greater the sacrifice the greater the faith, the greater the likeness to Jesus Christ, the source of life. St. Francis of Assisi is a well-known saint who radically changed his life because of his love for Christ, who gave up his wealth and served the poor and needy. Mother Teresa, another example, gives up her life to lepers in India. George Mueller, the great prayer warrior, who dedicated his life, disturbing orphans. Or Billy Graham, used by God to bring millions of people to faith in Christ. But it's not just the well-known. There, there are many people that I'm sure you know who have a strong attachment to Christ who produce great fruit for Him. For, like, for instance, in my first church in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, there's this, this lady named Grace McKenzie. She's probably almost 80 now. Worked for the, the provincial government for years. Never made a whole lot of money. Lived in a small house in a humble part of town. Was very easy to be around, experienced great, just exuded great joy. Never married, although she wanted to very badly. Never had kids, although she adored them. Pretty unremarkable, really, in most ways, except for her great love for and attachment to Jesus Christ. And as a young pastor in that church, she was a gift from God. She served faithfully. She prayed for me faithfully. Always had a positive attitude. Over the years, had several foster kids in her home. It seemed there was always somebody living with her who needed a roof over their head and somebody to love them. She had a special connection in our church with a, a single mom named Loretta. She had three strapping boys. They're all like six six now. All of them could have gone the wrong direction in their life. Their dad, who was still in town, was not a good influence. But Grace supported the mom. She was another mother to the boys. She paid for the Bible college. She paid for their college. She did studies, Bible studies with them. Two of them are now youth pastors in Canada. She is not remarkable. Grace is not remarkable on her own, but her life has been marked by remarkable fruit. And I think the secret to that has been her amazing dependency and attachment to Jesus Christ. The greater the detachment, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the love, the greater the, the power, the greater the resemblance to Jesus Christ. Dallas Willard, a Christian philosopher and author, wrote a book uh, that's on my shelves entitled The Divine Conspiracy. And in it he writes about God's design, his plan, his, his conspiracy to work in and through his people in the world. And it has much to say to the church about how we do discipleship, and it has much to say to the church about what the fruits of the church says about how our, our attachment to Jesus Christ. In it he says the primary goal of the church is not to do evangelism, although we should have and must have a burning urgency about sharing Christ with those who don't know him. He says it's not about it's not social justice, though the only way we could avoid doing justice is to avoid huge portions of the scripture. He says it's not about Christian education, although learning about God through Bible study is to be a high priority. He says it's not even about worship, although certainly we're to make all of our lives an act of worship before God. The goal of the church, he says, is to help people grow into Christ-likeness. The church's highest priority, he says, is to help people become more and more like Jesus in their thoughts, their words, their actions, their values, which is hard to argue against. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said much the same thing when he said we are to be little Christ in the world. 2 Peter 3.18 says we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, as I said earlier, one of our church's priorities is, is, is to be disciples, to disciple others, which is a life-changing journey in Christ with others. And we we do that through life groups and through men's and, men and men's and women's ministries, through Bible study, through prayer, through worship. But it all must be sourced in a deep, intimate connection, a dependency upon Jesus Christ. And doing that with other people doing life together with each other so our lives are changed and as we do that then we're naturally going to begin to think and act and speak like jesus would and we'll begin to share about our relationship with the father through faith in jesus christ just naturally in the course of a conversation and we'll begin to help the poor and the needy and we'll begin to right wrongs because we'll see things like jesus did and does And our hearts will be broken by the things which break his heart. And we'll begin to hunger and thirst for God's word. And our prayer life will be invigorated because, like Jesus, we're going to want to spend time with the Father. And how we approach worship, that'll be changed too. As a person goes deeper in Christ, he or she naturally goes further in mission. As we remain and abide in Jesus, the fruit will follow. theologian Helmut Tielecki points out that we often wonder if those celebrities we see on TV commercials who endorse food or beverages, if they actually consume what they're selling. He goes on to say that this is the very question most pressing for those of us who claim to follow Christ. Are we consuming what we're selling? The only way to know, Jesus says in John 15, is by our fruit. By our actions, attitudes, character, priorities, and what are who we most resemble. So if in fact the way we live our lives reveals to those around us what is the one thing to which we are most closely attached, what does our lives reveal? What do our lives reveal? I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Remain, abide in me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is present here. And we ask your Holy Spirit to to bring, to bear your word in our lives. To challenge our assumptions. To give us insight into our lives. To hear your truth and to apply it. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in us. to, To produce love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you would shape us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship with you, Lord Jesus, may we share our faith. May we do justice and love mercy. May we seek to go deeper through study and prayer. May we, our worship be filled with joy because of our closeness with you, Jesus. Um,